Hello listeners, welcome to Itihasa, an Indic history podcast. This is your host Narendra Vikram and you're listening to episode 56 of the season Vijayanagara. The tale we are about to unravel takes us deep into the annals of history. To an era when an empire's glory was like a candle burning brighter just before it died. Our story revolves around the last powerful emperor of Vijayanagara, a leader whose reign embodied the very essence of this flickering flame. Imagine if you will a time when the grandeur of the Vijayanagara empire, once an epitome of power and prosperity, was slowly waning. The empire like a candle nearing its end began to cast its most brilliant and vibrant light. even as it was surrounded by the encroaching shadows of its own demise the emperor venkatapati devaraya the second whose legacy we are about to explore ruled during these tumultuous times he stood as the candle's final guardian its flame dancing defiantly against encroaching darkness his reign would prove to be a beacon of hope a testament to the enduring spirit of vijayanagara as it burned with an intensity that defied its imminent extinguishment as we embark on this journey we will witness how the glorious rule of this emperor much like that flame burned brighter in its twilight moments it was a rule that defied fate challenged destiny and left an indelible mark on its history join us as we delve deeper into the life and times of this extraordinary leader and discover the story of an empire's last gasp of breath before it succumbed to the relentless march of time but first let's set the stage and immerse ourselves in the fading splendor of vijayanagara at its zenith in our previous episode we stood witness to the bitter sweet climax of an era as we chronicle the fall of one of the vijayanagara's most beloved emperors shri krishna devaraya a luminary of the tuluva dynasty his reign like a blazing comet streaking across that night sky left behind a trail of lasting brilliance that adorned the empire we marveled at the cultural renaissance he spearheaded the prosperity he ushered in and the tales of valor and grandeur that made him a legend as we close the chapter on his remarkable legacy we couldn't help but be moved by the echoes of his rule still reverberating through the corridors of time the fall of this beloved emperor marked not just the end of an era but the enduring spirit of vijayanagara that refused to be forgotten venkatapati devaraya the second a descendant of the legendary emperor krishna devaraya and aliya ramaraya was faced with the daunting task of filling some truly massive shoes please note that i use the word descendant loosely here venkatapati the second in reality belonged to the aravidu dynasty related to aliya ramaraya who was the son-in-law of shri krishna devaraya picture this the empire of vijayanagara still echoing with the tales of past glory in the name of krishna devaraya celebrated far and wide the weight of expectations the echoes of past triumphs all rested 
upon the shoulders of Venkatapitraya II. Could he possibly live up to the towering reputation of his illustrious ancestors? The answer, as history would reveal, was a resounding yes. Despite the colossal expectations, Venkatapitraya proved himself a worthy successor. He navigated the complex challenges of his time, preserving the empire's prosperity and culture with a wisdom and tenacity that would make his forebears proud. In the annals of history, he may not shine as brightly as Krishnadevaraya, but he contributed his own chapter to the saga of Vijayanagara, ensuring that the flame of his ancestors' achievements continued to flicker. Let's jog our memory with a quick recollection of the Aravidu dynasty. As we saw in the past episodes, post the battle of the Lakota, we saw the death of Alia Ramaraya and destruction of Hampi. Alia Ramaraya's brother, Tirumalaraya, had whisked away the young Tuluva emperor, Sadashivaraya, to the safety of Pinkunda Fort. But as we know, Sadasivaraya was a mere figurehead and a puppet. The real power lay in the hands of Aravidus after the soft coup by Alia Ramaraya. Tirumalaraya had somehow stabilized the empire after the devastating and decisive loss at the Lakota and the fall of the mystical city of Hampi, which was the real seat of power. After the supposed murder of Sadasivaraya, the Arabidus had officially assumed the throne and after Tirumalaraya, the throne passed on to one of his four sons, Sri Rangaraya I. The other three sons were Raghunatha, Rama and Venkatadeva, also known as Venkatapatidevaraya. After the death of Sri Rangaraya, the throne passed on to his younger brother Rama. What is interesting here is, the historical sources don't have almost anything to say about Rangaraya's successor, Ramaraya. Again, not to be confused with Alia Ramaraya. But most of the records or histories only speak about his successor and his brother, Venkatapati Devaraya II. This can only mean one thing, that the rule of Ramaraya was extremely short and we have no recorded evidence of what exactly happened to him and why his rule was almost non-existent. According to the epigraphical evidence based on the Kumbakonam grant of Venkatapati Revaraya II, dated to 1590 CE, it mentions one of his brothers, possibly Ramaraya, and how he reigned for a short time. This narrative is even corroborated by some contemporary Jesuit visitor letters. What is even more interesting is the elevation of Venkatapati Devaraya was in spite of his deceased brother Ramaraya's two sons already living. So it would appear that Venkata's nephews named Tirumala and Ranga who were governing Sri Rangapatnam had clearly a much legitimate right to the throne after the death of their father, Ramaraya, and their uncle, Sri Ranga. But that was not to be. There is an interesting letter written by Father N. Pimeta in Goa, 
and dated to 1602 CE. The letter has this to say about this whole matter. Quote, After the demise of this prince's father, the kingdom was given by the unanimous vote of all the classes to the brother of the deceased, the brother being Venkata II. That is one of that is the one who is ruling at present rejecting the rights of the deceased's children who on account of their age were not able to rule over a kingdom unquote then the dalavai agraharam plates epigraphical evidence has this to say about venkata the second's coronation quote venkata was then anointed according to the prescribed rules by the spiritual preceptor of his gotra the famous tatacharya who was the ornament of the wise just as rama was appointed or anointed by vasishta on this occasion the new king poured forth gold from his hand like rain from a cloud unquote there are two other epigraphical records that lay special stress on venkataraya's physical attributes exclaiming how handsome he was a european jesuit father dujaric seems to agree when he writes this about the raya quote the king is quite handsome although a little dark his eyes are big he is of medium size but his limbs are in good proportion he dresses quite nicely and always shows a special regard for royal majesty mingled with the charming plainness of manner unquote Venkataraya was initially elected or anointed as the emperor at Chandragiri which is in modern day Andhra Pradesh so naturally the coronation ceremony was performed there but not long after he moved his court to the fort of Penukonda the capital of his two predecessors Sri Rangaraya and Tirumalaraya and also probably Ramaraya that is the brother this coronation or also called Pattabhisheka was presided over by Venkataraya's family guru Lakshmi Kumara Tatacharya He was the descendant of the great saint and reformer Ramanujacharya and two of his ancestors had been the cause of the conversion of the emperor Virupaksha who is from Sangama dynasty from Shaivism to Vaishnavism Venkataraya was very devoted to Tatacharya and it reflects in a contemporary poem quote that the king entrusted the whole kingdom to his guru and he himself led a life of retirement doing service to him like kulashekara of the old but the second half of this excerpt from the poem is totally false venkatapitraya was certainly not an idle sovereign who indulged in sensual pleasures or debauchery or laziness he was anything but that he actually ruled effectively except during the last years of his life when disabled by age and sickness during which time he entrusted the administration of the empire to one of his wives and her brother coming back to the king's preceptor tatacharya and his importance It's important to point out the fact that the European Jesuits visiting the court of Venkatapitaraya had immense jealousy against the king's guru 
for obvious reasons and they did everything they could to slander the guru in their letters to their european masters back home just like today back then too the christian missionaries looked down upon hindu gurus and natives of india as infidels and savages who in their eyes followed a debased pagan faith and who could only be saved by the grace of jesus christ this is what they thought even today so in that sense not much has changed in the last 500 years hindus are still fighting against predatory evangelism being imposed under the guide of secularism along with the reports on tata acharya the names of several ministers of venkataraya have also been made known to us mainly through the contemporary poems one of the inscriptions dated to 1605 ce states that the chief matla ananta was like the right hand of emperor of karnataka samrajya which is vijayanagara there is another figure named tarigoppula dattamantri pemmasani peddatimmaraja tammaya mantri over in the council of ministers of the raya the chief military officer of venkataraya was gubburi obarajaya who is usually identified in historical records as obaraja was a brother-in-law of venkataraya the vijayanagara empire despite losing some northern provinces to the deccan sultanates after the fateful battle of the likota in 1565 ce it still controlled a vast territory to give you an idea it covered most of southern india including places like malabar and other regions up north like honavar and batkal it it had a long coastline along the bay of bengal stretching from cape comorin to orissa covering areas like coromandel and mylapore or also known as santom the emperor received help from the viceroy of srirangapatnam as well as various local rulers and chiefs in governing this massive empire however it appears that the empire was divided into different administrative parts a document from 1596 ce issued by the temple authorities of kanchipuram hints at this by mentioning that kanchipuram was in the chandragiri region of the tondai mandalam province in the sora mandalam country venkata was a very powerful king father dujarik Duja- was a uh, portuguese jesuit priest described raya as emperor and king of kings as he was considered the mightiest of all rulers by the end of his rule raja wadiyar of mysore even referred to him as a master of the four oceans however his reign faced significant challenges right from the start within his own dominions there were rebellions among petty chiefs or vassals who believed venkata was responsible for the death of the previous emperor sadasivaraya before 1595 ce the nayaks of tanjore or also tanjavur madurai and jinji had already stopped acknowledging him as their ruler as they didn't want to accept someone who had deposed the rightful king of vijayanagara was there venkata's hand in the assassination of sadasivaraya we don't know for sure or maybe we do 
But it's plausible that Tirumala Raya's sons had a motive to throw aside the last relic of the Thuluva dynasty, who was already a mere figurehead without any power. Like I said earlier, Sadasivaraya was a puppet. This rebellion set off a chain reaction with many other local chiefs following suit. This isn't just speculation. Historical sources from the time confirm these internal troubles. So there probably is a strong truth to the to the insinuation that Venkataraya had a hand in the assassination or the murder of the uh, puppet ruler Sadasivaraya. Venkata was even called the crusher of the pride of Avahalaraya and the hero who punished kings who break their word in the Mangal, Mangalampada grant. The Dalavai Agraharam plates praised him as their excellent conqueror of Chaurasik Durga who struck fear into hostile kings in all directions and was a formidable force on the battlefield. After facing numerous rebellions, Venkataraya displayed his unwavering resolve and military prowess, ultimately quelling all dissent and compelling the rebels to acknowledge his rightful authority. Around 1592 CE, during an attack on Penakunda by the Sultan of Bijapur, which we'll talk about later in detail, Venkataraya decided to move the empire's capital back to Chandragiri. This shift supposedly revealed a softer side of his character. He had been fiercely battling the empire's enemies. But now, perhaps due to early signs of aging, he longed for Chandragiri, a city where he had served as a governor and viceroy of the Tamil region for many years earlier. Chandragiri held a special place in his heart like a second home. Chandragiri's history stretched back to ancient times when it was a stronghold of the Yadavas. Venkataraya's predecessor, Narasimha Saluva, had expanded the fort and it became a treasury during his reign. The Portuguese even called it Narasimha after him. Krishnadevaraya was occasionally referred to as a Raja of Chandragiri suggesting his connection to the fort and probably even Krishnadevaraya loved that place. Inscriptions from the late 1500s to early 1600s mention Venkata ruling from Vijayanagara but they also show him associated with Chandragiri. It seems that during this time Chandragiri was sometimes referred to as Vijayanagara just like Penukanda had been in the past. This historical insight highlights the continuity of the capital being called Vijayanagara. Whether it was Hampi Anagundi, Penukonda, Chandragiri or as we'll see later Vellore. Let's take a small detour and look at an interesting side note from a European Jesuit's chronicles that details some of the social life back then in the times of Venkataraya. Father Dujarek, the Jesuit, provided intriguing details about a social institution among the nobility in Chandragiri, somewhat akin to a modern-day gymnasium. This place had a central yard with a floor so smooth it resembled a mirror, surrounded by a red sand walkway soft as a bed. 
Nobles would come here for wrestling, boxing, jumping, fencing, and other exercises, all aimed at strengthening them. Young, strong individuals, known as gittas, which is actually a Telugu word, would assist rubbing and massaging the noblemen until they perspired, or until they sweat. Afterward, the gittas covered the nobleman's body with sand, performed massages, and manipulated their limbs. making them feel rejuvenated after all these activities they were brushed anointed and washed with warm water and then they dressed nobles followed this exercise routine almost daily before dinner and it worked wonders it said as per the portuguese jesuits even men in their 70s in the vijayanagara nobility looked as youthful as those in their 30s This was a description of Chandragiri's gymnasium where the Jesuit priest had once been a spectator. Chandragiri's proximity to Tirupati held a special place in the emperor's heart. Many of his inscriptions and grants during that time were closely connected to Tirupati and the deity Lord Venkateshwara. On August 18th, 1598 CE, while visiting Tirupati, Venkata granted a village to several brahmins renaming it trimalambapuram furthermore in 1606 e a tamil inscription near the vardaraja shrine in the srinivasa temple at tirupati recorded a grant by venkatapitraya to provide offerings of rice to the god in 1601 to 1602 he made the velapaka grant again in the presence of the lord venkateshwara at tirupati venkataraya clearly continued the tradition of generosity set by his predecessors when it came to supporting temples and brahmins and also especially tirupati ensuring the maintenance and flourishing of sanatana dharma as we wrap up today's episode we have only scratched the surface of venkataraya the second's rule but fear not the journey continues in our next installment we'll delve deeper into his life and times i appreciate you joining me on this podcast and if you haven't already please subscribe to the podcast to catch the next episode your reviews on your favorite podcast platforms also mean the world to us helping us reach more history enthusiasts like you thank you for tuning in and until next time keep exploring the rich tapestry of the past with your host Narendra Vikram on Itihasa India History Podcast thank you have a nice day